Welcome to So Here's the Thing, where we share candid conversations that lift the veil on what it takes to find success, even if that means sharing a few unpopular opinions. I'm your host, Leili Amati. Grab some coffee or a cocktail, and let's get real. I am so excited about today's episode, you guys. We have Jessica Petticord of Simply Jessica Marie on with us. She is based in Dallas, Texas, which is where I am, so that's super fun. She's an artist who creates artwork that celebrates people, pets, and places that you call home. If you haven't checked out her work, you need to. It's stunning. I have several of her pieces hanging in my home, and I'm just obsessed with them. She believes that everyday moments should feel uniquely remarkable, whether that's by hanging up your new map print to commemorate moving into your first house or learning to paint the florals that are always growing in your mama's garden. How sweet is that? So Jessica also teaches at the Next Level Retreat, which is the retreat that I host for creative entrepreneurs, and she is an incredible educator, an incredible artist, and just an incredible person. When she's not painting, you can find her sipping a frozen mug with her husband, Zach, and their adorable puppy, Oscar, at their favorite local dog park. Oscar is the cutest little creature in existence. So if you start following her, you will see some Oscar photos. I've taken quite a few myself because I'm obsessed with him. So thank you so much for being on, Jessica. I'm so excited to talk to you today. And I'm going to like pass it over to you and you can tell us a little bit more about like your journey as an artist. Since today we're going to be talking all about how to be innovative and come up with amazing things to help you stand out in your market, which you definitely do. Well, first of all, thank you so much for that wonderful intro, Lily. I love getting to do this with you because we are friends. So this is just like a fun conversation, but I'm also really excited to provide everyone with some helpful tips. And definitely follow along for Oscar photos because Laylee is the only photographer he'll smile for. So the cute ones are all likely taken by Laylee. Such an honor. (laughs) But yeah, so my journey as an artist, oh gosh, I'll try and keep this short, but I am like the least athletic person you'll ever meet. I promise this will be connected. But when I was growing up, instead of taking soccer camps, which I tried one year and hated it. I always took art camps and took art classes throughout school and just fell in love with it. And it was really mostly just a pastime to start. Um, I majored in something called sport and event management when I was in college with the hope of becoming a wedding planner, which I did for a couple of years post-grad. But at the same time, I started my Etsy shop and it was partially a way to have fun. Um, I did start a blog and like wanted to make it a business, but it was just kind of for fun for friends at first and to have some extra income because living in Nashville can get kind of expensive. But throughout the years, I really experimented with a few different types of products and services, starting out with some art prints and then branching into lifestyle products and eventually custom paintings and wedding stationery. But once Zach proposed and we moved from Nashville to Knoxville, I really decided to go full-time with my art and have finally found my groove. I'm in my sixth year of business now, which is just crazy to say, but I feel like I've finally found my sweet spot of focusing on designing personality-packed watercolor crests, city collections with really sweet map art prints and local landmark prints, and then like Lily mentioned, education for budding watercolor artists who really want a success path from learning the basics of watercolor all the way to learning how to digitize their designs for their own printed products. So I'm a two on the Enneagram and I really love helping people. So there's really nothing that brings me more joy than helping 
will either learn how to start their own shop or to really infuse both their weddings and their homes with artwork that has personality and really connects with them. I love that. I feel like you have done so much in, I mean, six years is a long time, but for all the things that you've created for not only clients, but also um, like your clients, your customers, and also other artists and even other creatives who just want to try a hand at art, you make everything so accessible. And I love that about you because as you know, because I took Jessica's (laughs) class, this is so embarrassing, but I'll share it with, you know, all of you that listen to this show. Yeah. Um, I took Jessica's workshop at the next level retreat and I literally gave up halfway through and started like <laughs> walking around. <laughs> it is hard. I like uh, it was not easy. So well, thank I love you. how I love how accessible you make everything. I love how you teach and how you just create new ways of helping people like a true yeah two on the Enneagram. Yes. I love that. I feel like every guest I have talks about the Enneagram at some point. So it's like, probably it's part, it's part of the show now. Yes. Well, I love all of that. I would love to know. So one thing about you that I really have always been fascinated by, and I can say this, it's funny to talk about this with a friend, but I've always just respected and admired how you seem to just kind of keep your head down, keep your blinders on. You are never really looking at what other people are doing and duplicating it. Everything you do is very innovative and fresh and new from your courses to your work to products that you're offering. And I'm just, I would love to hear kind of your advice, what advice you would have for someone who's trying to grow and seeing that like, what they're doing may just be a replica of what other people are doing. Like how would you advise them to kind of keep their head down and become a little bit more innovative? Yeah, definitely. It's such a good question. And first of all, I feel like what you hinted at, the fact that people are doing what everyone else does is honestly probably why you're not succeeding if you feel like you're just kind of caught being the business model of someone that you admire. When we first start out, it's kind of natural to look to other people that are a few years ahead of us and see what they're doing and see that they have successful businesses and think, maybe if I do the same thing, then I'll have a really successful business too. And there's so many creative entrepreneurs, which is such a beautiful thing. But in order to really succeed, you want to be known for one major thing that you really shine at. To be the person that when someone thinks, man, I really need insert your thing here. Like if I'll use my favorite artist as an example, she's my mastermind leader, Emily Jeffords, and she paints these gorgeous landscape paintings. So if someone's like, I have this huge spot on my wall that I need to fill, I would love a landscape painting. My mind would immediately go to Emily. For me, I hope that people think of crests. That's what I feel like I am known for. So thinking of the one thing that really people will resonate you with will help to make it a more recognizable brand. Um, And I have three questions that I think will help you figure out what that thing could be for you. So I hope these are helpful. So the first thing is to consider your audience. What have they consistently bought from you or what have they consistently requested that you create? And I know if you're just starting out, this can be a little bit challenging since you might not have a ton of customers to really look at that data about. But starting out, like I had mentioned, I was designing for friends and family. So I honestly asked them, like, what do you need? What would be something that you haven't found in the marketplace that I could create for you? The second thing would be to consider your design interests. So you want it to be something that you love to create, something that comes really naturally to you that maybe other people would struggle with. So for me, I love painting watercolor maps. 
And I get a lot of questions from other artists, like, how do you even map out something and make sure that it's both like geographically accurate, but also beautiful. And it's just something that comes naturally to me. I do have a process, but I truly enjoy researching and finding the best photos and all that stuff. So consider your design interests. And something else that's super important is to consider your strengths. So are you better at realistic paintings like maps and flowers or are abstracts your forte? Like Emily, who I mentioned, she's really great at abstracts. And I have tried my hand at that in the past and it was not good. <laughs> there are so many things, and I'm speaking from experience here. Like when I was first starting out, a great example I feel like is that there was a huge trend toward more minimalistic and organic wedding trend. And I tried so hard to fit my watercolor designs into that mold when I was first starting out, but it just did not come naturally to me. So you want what you're creating to be something that flows and is also what your audience wants. Not what everyone is focusing on as the trend, but what people are actually coming to you for. So when you find something that checks off all three of those boxes, you've really found your gold. So like I'd mentioned before, for me, it's my personality packed watercolor crests. All of my crests have not only watercolor flowers like most people have, but also icons that really represent people's love stories in a bold and super colorful way. So people who are not attracted to that won't want to buy from me. And that's totally fine. And I would say my whimsical pastel maps are a very close second. That's super helpful. I love that you kind of gave people good checkpoints to go through. As you were listing your three questions, I was like trying to answer them myself actually. Yeah. Like, I wonder if what I'm offering is actually like falling into these three categories. I also love the fact that you kind of talked about what to do in the beginning, because I think a lot of people let their um, quote unquote small audiences stand in their way. And they're afraid that like, oh, I'm not getting like a ton of inquiries. Well, that's when you turn like you said, you kind of turn the table and you ask your audience, no matter how small they are, like, yeah. what do you want to see more of from me? What do you think of when you um, see my work? Things like that. Yeah. So that's super, super helpful. Yeah. And I'm sure it's been said a million times before, but it's just so true that if you are designing for everyone, you're not going to really attract the right people. Like if you really focus from the beginning, that's one thing I wish I would have done from the beginning is go through these three steps myself. And of course it takes some trial and error to figure out what you're good at, but the sooner that you can get there and really keep your blinders on and keep doing what you're good at and keep getting better at what you are focusing on, the more you'll attract those same types of people. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm wondering as kind of like a follow-up question, how do you determine who you should be designing for, who you should be targeting. If you're not an artist like me, like you hear about the ideal client profile and I just, I wonder if there's anything like specific that you do to kind of think through like, who am I designing for right now? Who am I trying to market to? Yeah. So at first, again, it can be kind of hard when you don't have any real client data to pull from, but I never like to think, well, my clients are a little bit like me. Like I have a very kind of carefree personality and I use a million exclamation points in my emails and my clients appreciate that more friendly approach. So from that standpoint, I feel like I understand them because I am them a little bit, but once you, even when you first start out and start getting your first customers or clients, something I really love doing is sending them questionnaires that have questions that range from like, what is your career type? What do you love to do with your sweetie? Whether it's like a wedding photographer or an artist, things that really get to allow you to get to know them a little bit better, um, which will help you in your messaging. But I know it's always, I feel like ideal client avatars are something that is talked about a lot, but I don't know, it can be hard to 
figure out at first, but really talking to your customers and sending them a questionnaire either upon booking or once a year to all of your like favorite clients that you've worked with and you want to work with more of them can be really helpful. Okay. Can I just be honest for a second? Like I have been in business for a little over seven years now, and I've never heard anybody say to me when I'm creating an ideal client profile or avatar, like to actually ask people. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like, this I, is such I a simple I, answer, but I hope it helps. No, uh, honestly, like I, I feel like looking, I'm trying to like rack my brain and I could of course be leaving someone out in which case, like, sorry to those people. But <laughs> I feel like most of the time when we hear about creating an ideal client profile, an ideal client avatar, list what you think, where would right. they shop? What would they wear? Like, where do they go on the weekends? And I'm like sitting here thinking to myself, like, I don't, I don't know because I'm not necessarily my ideal client. So I don't really know what, I guess they would wear high-end clothes. I mean, I right. just feel like there's, it leaves so much room for interpretation, but I've never actually thought to send out questionnaires to clients that I've like loved working with or that I would want to work with and kind of be like, Hey, tell me more about yourself. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm not sure if y'all can hear me clicking, but I'm going to pull up mine just to help people. Cause I feel like examples are always helpful. Again, when you're first starting out, you might have to make some of those up but I really feel like there's just nothing better than real data that you can pull from. Yeah. Especially refining throughout. That's another thing I think a lot of people kind of miss the mark on is refining this profile as they go. Because in the beginning, even if you are making things up and guessing as you go on and you build your client list, you can go through and kind of refine like, oh, well, these people actually don't shop at Banana. They shop at Old Navy. I didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I feel like some of those questions are helpful, but I really love going kind of deeper too. So my questionnaire, I have it pulled up and I can just read off some of the questions, but how would you describe your personal style? I have some of these are like blank answers that they can type in and some of them are multiple choice. So for this one, I have very classic and I have descriptions for all of them, but very classic, playful or casual. I do ask them about their favorite colors and that helps me to dictate, you know, what would people be attracted to from a variety of things. Like for my crest bar, which has, it's kind of like a semi-custom collection of watercolor crests and you can choose your own colors and icons and everything. So that really helped me to figure out what colors to incorporate, your favorite places to shop, your favorite leisure activity, your occupation, a few more questions. And then some of the things that I really love asking are not only about what they love to do day to day, but what are your favorite types of dates to go on together? What are y'all most looking forward to about your wedding day? What are you most looking forward to about marriage? And then one that I feel like people never ask, but I really love to is, do y'all have any fears or concerns for your wedding that I can hopefully help you with either as a married wife or from a vendor's perspective? And when you ask people what their biggest fears are, it really helps you to figure out how you can serve them. And then that translates really nicely into your copy that you have on your website and how you speak on social media to really connect with people on a little bit deeper of a level. That's genius. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that, especially because like you said, I feel like so often we're told find their pain points, find the pain points and then speak to the pain points. And that's how you're going to kind of convert people over. But in this way, you're kind of, like I said, just taking out any doubt and you're getting actual concrete feedback from yeah. people that you have either enjoyed working with or enjoy or want to work with in the future. Yeah. That's super helpful. So moving forward, thinking about like now we have all of this great content and information, thinking about 
whenever you see somebody in business kind of either, I mean, not necessarily even starting out, but maybe hitting a point in their business where they're starting to struggle or things are starting to plateau. Is there something that you see as an educator that you see other people doing that really holds them back? Yeah. So I've noticed this in my own journey. So I feel like I can speak kind of candidly from experience, but I also notice it a lot with other designers too, honestly, from conversations with them. But one of the biggest things that I see others doing that holds them back is designing for themselves, not for their customers. And what I mean by that is designing things that you think that you like, or you think that your customers like, but not actually asking them what they want. And we've sort of been talking about this all along, but it's just so important to me not to leave the fate of my business to chance. I have been in this for six years and it helps to support my family and I just don't want to have it be a guessing game. And so I used to design things that I loved. When I first started out, it was examples could be like, I had these art prints that had my own personal mantras on them. And they obviously didn't connect super well with my audience because they were my mantras and no one else cared about them or things that I thought my customers would love because everyone else was offering them. So when I was designing wedding invitations, I was doing mostly custom, but I saw everyone else in the industry offering semi-custom invitation suite collections. And I was like, well, they must be doing a great job at this. They must be having it as a successful source of income. So I'm just going to do it too. Even though up until that point, no one had asked me for that. They loved the fully custom invitations. So I would get a few sales here and there, but I wouldn't consider those products and services to be successful. So after all of that and not seeing a whole lot of growth, I really took a chance to switch my business model and really do a lot of market research through polling and surveying my audience to really understand exactly what they want and what they'd be excited to buy. And it's truly been one of the biggest game changers in the success of my shop because it really, it takes days and weeks and months to design, print and launch new products and services or to have certain like photography clients booked out. So before you do so, really take the time to make sure what you're designing or what you're offering is exactly what your customers would want to buy. So in order to validate that, again, I'm going to be nerdy here, but you just ask them. And it's not as, I feel like the word survey is really scary, but it's super simple. And people love giving their feedback. They feel like they're a part of your process and are therefore more invested in the final products or services and more likely to buy from you because you created something for them based on their opinion. So I've got three great ways that I constantly am pulling and surveying my audience that you can really easily implement today or later this week that will really help you to get a better understanding of what your customers want, not what you think that they would want. So two of the simplest ways are to do polls and questions on Instagram stories. I feel like Instagram has done us a great favor in adding really easy market research tools right into Instagram stories. So a good example of this is if I'm trying to decide between two different color options for a, let's say I'm designing a t-shirt or something and I want to know what my customers would gravitate towards more. Or I had done something where I've designed cocktail calendars for the past five years. And this year, I'm not sure if I want to switch things up. So I just asked them, would you like to see more cocktail calendars or would you like to see a new theme? And the overwhelming response was a new theme. And so if I had designed another cocktail calendar, it might not have been successful. And then I followed up with a question box asking, okay, well, what kind of new theme would you be interested in? And I got so many responses and it's really helping me to see what the themes are within that question box that are similar. So which 
ideas people all are interested in and picking the one that most people want. And then that will be my theme for this year's calendar. So that's one great way that's really easy to poll your audience on Instagram. Another super simple way is to just ask a question in an Instagram post. So the algorithm, I know everyone hates it, but it's always the best when it's most engaging. And so if you ask people real questions, not just like silly, how's your day going questions, but really gathering data in your Instagram, um, that's a great way to do that too. And you can scroll through my Instagram and see examples of this. And then if you do want to get a little bit more formal, you could create an actual survey on something like I use Typeform, but um, SurveyMonkey is another great option too. And I've done this for my city collection series where people can nominate their city for an upcoming watercolor map and city series. And that one has gotten a lot of great responses too, because again, everyone wants to feel like they're a part of your business and excited when you actually pick what they suggested. So those are three of my favorite ways to really easily, but successfully get data from your customers. That's so helpful. I'm like sitting over here taking notes as you're talking. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I I do tend to like pull my Instagram audience a lot. Sometimes what I've noticed, especially when I first started using that feature is like, I would forget to, this sounds really, I'm like embarrassed to admit this, but I'm just going to throw it out there because maybe someone can relate. I would forget to actually document that data somewhere mm -hmm. where it like disappears. So I would be polling and I'd be like, oh, well, this is kind of reaffirming. And then I would kind of like forget to follow up on that content. Yeah. So. Well, you know, you can go to your archives and see the data, yes. right? Okay, cool. Yeah, I, just yeah. make sure you do that. <laughs> I figured, I finally figured that one out, but I mean, I just like, I feel like I would kind of start polling and then I'd be like, oh, whatever. Like I'm, this is like good response, but then I wouldn't actually follow up and use it on anything. So that was good. And yeah. Now that I can, yeah, now that I figured out I can go back, but I never do because I'm kind of lazy. So yeah. I started jotting things down as I go, but I do appreciate like, I know that the whole algorithm thing is like driving people insane, but <laughs> I mean, it's there, it's, they're just doing their job. So they we're are. just going to kind of push through and do ours. And I like the concept of asking people so that you can get actual good feedback on it. So thanks. Yeah, for that. of course. And one other just quick follow up. I just wanted to say that I know a lot of people send annual surveys and that's great, but I feel like this is something that you should be doing on a really regular basis to like we mentioned earlier, continue to refine your products and services and always have a continual understanding of your customer base. So I try and implement this in a pretty seamless way, but if you're feeling like this is too salesy or too businessy, um, a really cool example is one of my artist friends, Jennifer Olivato. Her Instagram handle is JM, and maybe we can put that in the show notes because I know it's a um, cool but unique last name for spelling. But every Friday, she does this like, whole series and she'll ask questions like, are you having pizza or pasta tonight? Are you going in? Or are you staying out? Are you a cat person or a dog person? And then every few questions, she'll sprinkle in something that relates to her business. And so it's a combination of getting to know her clients, really honestly getting to know her ideal client too. Well, not everyone on Instagram is your ideal client, but you know what I mean? It's a great way for like getting to know your audience and then also getting helpful feedback for your business too. Yeah. I love the more personal touch there. I think that's really nice to be able to kind of like connect with your people and become friends with them and like grow relationships, yeah. but not be like super salesy. Although I never like, 
having followed you so closely for so long, uh, since we've known each other for a while now, I never thought like, oh, this seems super salesy. I'm like, oh, she's coming up with, yeah, well, I'm always like, she's coming up with brand new stuff and I'm excited. Like maybe she'll listen to me. Yeah. (laughs) So I always, I feel like I'm always answering like, I want this flower. I want this cocktail. Like paint me things. I just love it. So we've pulled our audience. Like we kind of know what they want. We know what our, our target market once and we're now you're like starting your process of creating. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, again, I, I love that having you on this show. Cause you're, I feel like being an artist is just so fancy and like cool and <laughs> not something that I could ever do. Oh my gosh. I mean this, I feel like all of this is applicable, you know, across the board when you're creating anything, like how, how do you find inspiration? How do you find ways to keep things fresh and just keep yourself from falling into falling down the rabbit hole of like, I'm just going to go with what everyone else is kind of showing or what has worked for me in the past. Like, how do you come up with new stuff all the time? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I'd love to talk about inspiration in general for like design style and then also inspiration for products. But I like to draw inspiration both from my own past and my current life experiences. I don't really like to look at like paper source catalogs to see what the new trends are or anything. I like to think of more lifestyle inspiration. So my style is very much influenced by a combination of my love for ballet, which I know you can relate to lately, and the theater, and then also my life growing up in the South. Um, So my style, I would say, is a little refined, but mostly relaxed and colorful. And a lot of that draws from my childhood. My mom worked for the North Carolina School of the Arts while I was growing up, and every year we would go watch her students perform the Nutcracker. And it's one of my most vivid memories. And even at a young age, the dancer's fluidity and grace and charisma always astounded me and inspired me to create artwork that mimicked both their movement and the vibrance of the ballet. So the way that I translate that into my artwork is the really the movement of their arms, their legs, that I really love translating that into my calligraphy style and having elongated letter forms that I feel like look like they're dancing. And I know I have a kind of unique calligraphy style and I feel like it's because I don't look to other calligraphers to dictate what I should be doing. I look more outwards towards my life and my inspiration from there. And then the vibrance of the ballet, the costumes and the scenery and the set, I really allow that to influence the colors that I use, having them be kind of that beautiful balance of pastels with like the sugar plum berry and all that stuff. And then some more vibrant pops of color. And so that not only impacts my style to this day, but also some of the products that I offer. So I've sold Nutcracker art prints and related holiday products with my own spin on them, not copying like the exact look of what I see at the Nutcracker, but putting their own like costumes and stuff on them. And I've sold those for years and my customers love them because they have a similar connection to the ballet. And another huge source of inspiration for me came from my formative years in college. I went to a small Southern school, Elon University, and it was the epitome of preppy. We would wear Lily Pulitzer dresses to football games instead of t-shirts, and I loved it. And the carefree patterns, I know, you're (laughs) laughing. Um, I loved it. I know it sounds like dorky, but it was just so much fun, and I'll never forget. It sounds super, it sounds very cute and like quintessentially like Southern. I love it. 
It was great. I loved it. It was really weird going to um, University of Tennessee games. And I was like, what, you don't wear pearls and heels and you just wear t-shirts? I don't understand this. <laughs> That's where my husband went to school. So anywho, but yeah, so like all of that would really influence. I mean, it's what I would was immersed in for four years and the carefree patterns and bold colors of Lily have always attracted me, but rather than totally copying Lily's patterns and styles since their artists are the expert in that style. And if someone wanted something Lily Poulter, then go get it from Lily Poulter. I tried to let how wearing their clothes made me feel impact how I paint and what I create. So I feel like having something inspired by a feeling or an emotion is a great way to pour into either your artistic style with painting or your artistic style with editing. And so I love to create artwork that has a whimsical, almost magical nature to it that brings joy to everyone who sees it. So yeah, those are some ways that I love to let my past and the, like my feelings inspire my style. But in terms of inspiration for my actual offerings, I do also let some of my day-to-day -day inspiration dictate it. So for example, Zach and I love to travel. And every time I travel, I collect artwork from each city I visit. It's something I've been doing for years. And that is honestly what inspired my city series. So it's one of my most popular series because people either love grabbing prints of the maps from where they live to commemorate, you know, their hometown that they're obsessed with, or if they've traveled there and they have a really special connection to that city, it's just a way for them to, again, show that love for the place that they visited and the memory that they have from there in their own home. So I knew that if I had such a special connection to it, other people probably would too. And that was another thing I realized through polling my audience is that they have a love for travel just like I do. So if they didn't have a love for travel, that might not have been a good option for my shop. Another thing is that like Whitley said, I'm a huge dog mama. So I love painting other dog mamas fur babies into their crests. And 99% of the time, my crests will have dogs in them. And a lot of dog mamas are attracted to me because I show Oscar all the time and because I also paint them and they're like, oh my gosh, it'd be so much fun to have our pet commemorated in our crest too. And then finally, I try to fill our home with personality and things that connect me both to my present and my past rather than feeling the need to hide my personality to please others, which is something I used to struggle with hard time. And I'm sure everyone who's listening can probably relate to that, especially thinking back to like middle school and stuff. Love those years. Um, but, that, <laughs> but that's why I design crests that are packed with personality rather than the same old floral crest you can get from anywhere because I really want others to feel encouraged and empowered to have really unique and kind of, I don't know, just different crests and different artwork in their home than what they can just pick up from Target. So I would say that inspiration for products does come a little bit from my own life and my own experiences, but also, again, going back to understanding what my customers really and truly want um, and setting it apart from what others are doing. That is so spot on. And that's really why I've been like dying to have you on the podcast is because I feel like as somebody who kind of watches your life and business, I see so much warmth and like personality, like you said, involved in all of your offerings. But at the same time, as someone who's watching you from a business standpoint, you're such like a smart and savvy business owner that I'm always just fascinated. Like, how do you find that balance and where is it all coming from? So to hear you kind of talk through your thought process is yeah. really fun for me. That's good. I'm glad. And I always hope it's helpful and not just like me rambling, but Hopefully there was oh, absolutely. No, no, no. It's super helpful. 
I feel, I feel inspired anyway, like as you were talking through some of the, the things that you think through, I was like, oh yeah, I can see like, this is where I draw inspiration from. And I may not have even thought through that before. So yeah. And I think it can be simpler than you are imagining that it has to be like inspiration doesn't have to be this huge grand traumatic thing. It should come from something that feels natural for you. So if you're not thinking you've found your inspiration yet, you probably have just look a little bit deeper into yourself and your life. That was deep. <laughs> so true so true okay so we're let's like wrap this up with my my signature question if you yeah. will do you have an unpopular opinion on any of these things that we talked about today yes I do so hopefully it's not too bold but I don't think that it's enough to just keep your head down and create work of your own I really think it's actually important to do your research as soon as you have a viable idea to see what else is already out there that's in the same scope of what you're wanting to offer and then find ways that you can differentiate yours to really make it unique to your style and make it stand out more. So a good example of this is I just came out with a Charleston map and city collection and a ton of other artists have painted Charleston maps. And so the very first thing I did before I even started sketching mine was I went to Pinterest and Etsy and I searched Charleston maps. I looked at the style, I looked at the colors, I looked at the layout and even the icons that were included. And I made notes about what other people were already offering and made sure that I did not incorporate that into my artwork because I know that there have been Charleston map prints before, but I wanted to make sure that mine was unique. So if you're not doing that, then you could also accidentally copy somebody else. So I really like to do my due diligence and Again, I feel like this is such a nerdy podcast interview with me, but really do research before you even start offering something to make sure you're not intentionally or unintentionally copying somebody else. And that will just make people fall in love with yours even more if it is completely unique. I love that. I agree 100%. I think a lot of times we get really carried away and excited by something that like strikes our fancy and makes us really pumped up. And then we just kind of like blaze forward. Yeah. Um, without stopping to do the research. So that's, I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. And I know I, I talk from like the product design standpoint, but it could totally apply to like workshops that you're offering. If you're, I don't know, a photographer or planner or something, just making sure that the content is different and it would attract unique students. Or I don't know if you're a wedding planner and you have different packages than other planners, it still can completely apply to service-based businesses too. Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for this conversation. It was super fun. It was not nerdy. It was <laughs> Oh, I don't really mind it. <laughs> it was it was very much the appropriate amount of nerdiness for Perfect. for uh, all those business owners out there. So thank yeah. you, Justin. I really appreciate your time. Of course. It's always fun chatting with you. And just to thank everyone for listening and staying tuned till the end, I wanted to share a little something sweet with y'all. If you are interested in grabbing any of the ready-made art prints or mugs or tea towels from my shop, or if you're an artist and you've been wanting to learn either how to paint with watercolors or digitize your artwork or even understand what vendors to use to print your products, I'd love to offer y'all a 15% off discount code just for listening. It's exclusive to this podcast. And the code is LAILY15, and LAILY is in all caps. So it'll apply towards all those fun things, the shop products that are already made, and then online courses, even the semester bundle. So that's a great deal. And uh, my printing and production partners guide, which is a list of all the vendors I use, plus pro tips about how to work with them and exactly what I order. 
Thank you so much. That is so generous. And I just, I'm so excited to offer this to everybody. I'm going to put it all in the show notes. So if you're listening and you're like, that's a lot to keep track of. I don't remember this discount code. You can hop over to the show notes at so here's the thing podcast.com and all of that information will be there for you guys as well as where to find Jessica. Perfect. That sounds great. Yeah. It'll all be down there. And my website is just simply jessicamarie.com. And that's pretty much where you can find me on all social media platforms too. So easy to find. Yay. Thank you so much, Jessica. Of course. Have a great rest of your day, y'all. For show notes and resources mentioned on today's episode, head to so here's the thing podcast.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love to read your review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.